Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. We are going to talk about getting through your grief with Dr. Alan Cole. Dr. Alan Cole is a professor of pastoral care at Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary and author of Good Morning, Getting Through Your Grief. Dr. Cole has helped hundreds of people go through the mourning process. He believes in staying active and engaged when dealing with loss. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. It's great. Can we call you Alan? Please. <laughs> now, tell us what, what made you decide to write this book. I love it. It's got a, a big sunflower on the front, and uh, it's a wonderful book. Well, thank you. I, uh, For the last five years, I've been a professor in a seminary, but before that, I was a pastor for the better part of nine years, and uh, many of my experiences as a pastor uh, somehow related to loss and grief. And I, on many occasions I had people ask me uh, to suggest a book for them to read. As Some people find it helpful to read a book as part of their own uh, grief process and uh, thought about it for several years and finally uh, put some thoughts and experiences together uh, in, in this book. It's really a, a great resource book, and um, well, let's talk a little bit about some of some of your thoughts and ideas. What what makes life, uh, loss so difficult for us? Well, I think that loss um, is, in many ways, a unique and individualized experience. Which is to say that uh, we experience losses in, in different ways. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I think there are some some commonalities. I think. Um, that you know, one of the reasons loss is, is so profoundly felt is uh, because we um, invest so much of ourselves in our relationships. We come to understand who we are in uh, many ways by virtue of the relationships that we have. Uh, we love uh, people and things and ideas and dreams that uh, when they are taken away from us or removed from our lives, uh, leaves us with uh, deep voids emotionally, spiritually, uh, relationally, and, and otherwise. And so I think uh, we, we uh, can only uh, feel profound pain when we have loved someone or something. And then I, these that. deep voids, I, I think that's right, the suffering. But I always think of uh, loss as kind of like a giant tantrum, too, because we've been told that we can have whatever we want if we want it enough, right? I think that's a great point. Um, and uh, who doesn't want to uh, continue to have what they love in their lives and enjoy all the benefits of that? I think it's deeply human to uh, tantrum, uh, as you say, when some, someone or something we love so profoundly is taken away. Well, you know, for some people I know, a lot of people, well, God is, you know, and religion is uh, helps them through the process, but what about people that are angry at God? Yeah, I, I I think lots of people uh, get angry with God, and uh, uh, I think uh, God uh, recognizes that that happens and uh, uh, is still present through that anger, and uh, uh, people of uh, faith in my tradition, which is Christianity, uh, I think ideally are encouraged to uh, 
um, be honest and vulnerable and um, own the feelings that they have, whether they see them as positive or negative toward God with the trust and the hope that uh, God will hang in there with them. Uh, I, you know, the I found that um, being a Christian that um, I didn't find my religion that helpful early on. I found the people at the church were the religion that really um, came through. So I guess God coming through people. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, again, in my own tradition, community is uh, at the center of uh, our faith and uh, belief system, and so I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think God works uh, in us and through us and our relationships in, in faith communities and, and also beyond faith communities. I, I wrote this book primarily for uh, Christians and, and, and people who identify uh, with, with Christianity, but I think uh, that uh, many of the things that, that I advocate uh, apply beyond Christianity and, and even organized religion. Heidi, you had uh, some comment about uh, people who want to believe. Could you want to say something about that? Oh, people that it's that they you mean that they want to believe, but that they don't believe. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what my comment was. Yeah. Well, you said that you had a client who really wanted to believe, you know, in God and and that God was. Uh, with them uh, yes, absolutely. That you know, before their child died, it wasn't important for them to believe in an afterlife and to believe in things. But since their child has been dead, they have a real need to believe that they're in a better place. Right. And that this person, they don't have a religion. And it's become, it's very difficult because yeah. they don't have this belief system set up. So how would you say that somebody could? I, I know you talk about prayer in the book, and I think that's really interesting because I think there are a lot of people, I love that, that you talk about it and, and practically. That's the nice thing about this good morning, getting through your grief. There's some really practical ideas in here. What if I've never prayed? What do I do? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I think lots of people have these kinds of questions, and, and I guess what I would say first is in, in response to um, Heidi's comment earlier, I, I think that you know wanting to pray or wanting to believe um, is oftentimes a, a best first step along that journey. Um, my experience has been both personally and uh, as a pastor and now a, a professor that um, you know people believe in, in different ways and to different degrees um, throughout their life journey, if you will, and. Uh, I think wanting to believe is is a great first step for those who haven't believed, and uh, for those of us who have believed and at times find our beliefs uh, ebbing and flowing, I think wanting to uh, believe uh, or to have a faith um, is, is uh, helpful then as well. But as far as the you know the the way to learn how to pray, if you will, I, I think you know as I say in the book that you you learn to pray most by by trying it. Um, as important as Reading about it may be, uh, and I don't want to minimize that, I think uh, we, we learn to pray by praying, and we will uh, pray in lots of different ways and find uh, different approaches, you know, meaningful and others perhaps not. I suggest uh, some different approaches uh, in, in the book. But, um, keeping Why don't you give us uh, one or two of your favorites? Well, in the, in, the, in the Christian tradition, there's a, a very well-known prayer that... Um, uh, it's called the Lord's Prayer or uh, sometimes the Our Father in the uh, Roman Catholic tradition. Um, I, I suggest ways for praying uh, that prayer in the book. Sometimes if you haven't prayed much or don't uh, feel as though you're quite uh, prepared to pray in your own words, I think it can be helpful to um, appeal to some 
you know, long established prayer in the tradition that's been helpful and uh, allow others' words to uh, be said for you such that they uh, eventually may become your, your own words. So there's some different ways that I talk about praying the Lord's Prayer um, as, as one approach. There's another um, approach that's oftentimes called contemplative prayer. Uh, it's been made famous by uh, Father Henry uh, 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 Nowen and some, some other people, uh, Father Tom Keating uh, most recently. Um, and that's a kind of prayer which is, uh, well, more contemplative. You um, pick a, a word or a phrase or an object or an image that is uh, meaningful to you, that in some way uh, helps you uh, feel a sense of uh, the divine or the sacred or the holy uh, I like that. It could be a flower. It could be looking at a candle. It could be anything that evokes, uh, you know, the divine for you, and you just sort of contemplate that and allow your um, your thoughts and your feelings to uh, center on that uh, object or that word or that phrase, with the idea being that uh, God works through that process to um, to speak to you and to help you uh, pray in, in ways that will be helpful. That's a lovely idea. I never thought of that exactly as a prayer. That's uh, uh, nice. Do you have? Uh, do we need a special place? I I think some people find a special place helpful. Um, I recommend uh, that that people uh, try to find a place in the book if they can. But I think that you know we can pray in lots of different places, and it's not always uh, uh, convenient to go to our our special place uh, to pray at any time, but. I do think it's it's good to have a, a sort of place carved out that is uh, both emotionally and, and spiritually and even physically um, a, a place of, of peace and contemplation and, and prayer for you. Now, what do you, it's, it's interesting because I live in midtown Manhattan, and here I am in the middle of total chaos often, and most of the churches in the city are opened. Yeah. And you don't have to be in that religion. You can go in and feel so peaceful and just sit at the pew and, like you said, there's candles and, and meditate or pray or have a quiet moment, and it really restores you. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I, I love to, to be in, in churches, sanctuaries too, but, um, you know, being outside in a park or, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a, in, a, in a place that's quiet and meaningful to you uh, can, can work as well. So I, I think, you know, trying different ways that uh, you, you think may be meaningful and, and, and helpful for you and your uh, growth in, in faith and in prayer. Well, we've got an email that I want to uh, read to you before we go to break. It's from Wendy, um, and it says, I wanted to ask, she saw that you were going to be on the show, and she said, I wanted to ask Dr. Cole if he has any suggestions for how to answer my husband when he says he will never forgive our nephew who was driving the car when our daughter was killed. He always says, why should I forgive him? He took away my life. Do you have any thoughts for Wendy yeah. on that? well, I... I think I have lots of thoughts. I think um, you, you know what a what a terrible experience to you know lose your child um, uh, with someone else being responsible for that. Um, you know, I think forgiveness is one of those things that um, again I'll I'll speak out of my own faith tradition uh, because that's what I I know. It's one of the the, the things that, that that we tend to wrestle with. Uh, most, and I'm convinced that in, in many and maybe all cases, frankly, it's not something that we uh, can do by ourselves or simply on our own accord, um, which is to say that I think 
um, we can rely on uh, God and our faith community and our um, uh, religious beliefs, if you will, to to you know urge us toward forgiveness in ways that we are taught uh, uh, God wants and and in fact can be uh, ultimately redemptive um, for for we ourselves. I um, uh, you know both as a minister and through my clinical training, I've um, you know come to believe deeply that um, you know an inability to f- forgive oftentimes uh, is long-term one of the most destructive uh, things that we can and do hold on to. And and forgiving is not forgetting. Uh, And forgiving is not um, uh, discarding responsibility or uh, saying, you know, it it, it doesn't matter. But but it is, I think, trying to find a way to uh, live into uh, the transgression that that you've experienced in, in ways that are both um, you know, helpful for the the person who has uh, transgressed, but also to to you who uh, may be angry, angry and, and and bitter and understandably so, but uh, nevertheless, long term, may be destroyed by those uh, those kinds of feelings. It sounds like Wendy um, may have forgiven, and maybe needs to forgive her husband for not forgiving. Uh, a nice point, and you know, easier said than done. I I, I want to you know make that clear. I, I do think forgiveness. Uh, is one of the, the the more difficult things that that human beings struggle with, and uh, for that reason, I, I think it it lies at the heart of of many faith traditions. Uh, many religions um, uh, deal with with the uh, need to forgive in in different ways. Yeah, and we we had a we had a guest on that said forgiveness is like setting a prisoner free and finding out that prisoner is you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked that quote. Yeah, and we've all right. We've all done things for which we want and need forgiveness, and um, mm-hmm. I think it can be helpful to uh, remind ourselves of that when, when we're finding it, you know, difficult to forgive, you know. So, so I'm really uh, thinking, uh, Wendy, that maybe you do need to forgive him for not forgiving, and um, as they say, do it yourself and teach the world, forgive and love him in his feeling, and he'll see the forgiveness you have. So, um, if you... Uh, want to email me uh, or uh, contact me in some other way, that's uh, com. Okay, and it's A-L-L-A-N, and also we'll have something to link to him on the grief blog. Well, when we went to break, uh, Alan, I was saying that I would like to go over some of your five features of good morning because, uh, as you say, you believe that um, you need to stay active and engaged when dealing with loss, right? Yes, and I, I should say I, I really learned this from uh, William Warden, who I know has mm-hmm. been a guest on your mm-hmm. uh, show before, and his uh, tasks of mourning, he uh, has, has four tasks of mourning, which I think have uh, been really helpful and informative in my own way of thinking. But uh, what, what Warden says and what I uh, have, have come to believe and have certainly seen uh, in my experience is that, you know, for many people and maybe most people, um, um, mourning is an active process, and as I say to my students oftentimes, that means that it doesn't just happen by itself, but, but rather it takes energy, it takes, um, you know, a desire in some ways to mourn, and it, it takes effort on our part. It, it rarely, if ever, just kind of happens on its own. And so uh, if that's true, then the question, you know, becomes what, what are some things that, that we can do or how are some ways that we can 
um, engage our morning process, if you will, to facilitate uh, what I call good morning uh, in, in the book. So morning is what you consider the process. Grief is something that just happens, loss. Yeah, I mean, I distinguish between, you know, grief and mourning, although, you know, they certainly feed into one another. And um, I, I don't think that, you know, most people would say, well, I, I grieved for this period of time, and then all, you know, at that point I began mourning. But I think it's helpful to keep the, the two processes or experiences separated in that um, I think of grief as, um, you know, uh, our response to a significant loss, the thoughts, feelings, uh, behaviors, um, what we experience in, in the wake of a, uh, of a significant loss. And I think of mourning more in terms of how we begin to, uh, if you will, put our lives back together or to push uh, forward in, uh, in light of what we've lost on, on this side of our loss in ways that are um, conducive to, to reengaging in life again and, and enjoying life uh, again, maybe differently than before, uh, but, but, but nonetheless uh, uh, we can be able to enjoy life again. So you talk about um, receiving our loss. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the, I, I speak of five ways of coping with loss, and, and the first one is, is what I call receiving the loss. And what I mean by that is um, in, in cases of, of profound loss especially, um, you know, many people will, will say um, it was like you know, my, my world came crashing down. I, I was turned you know, on my head, life as I had known it had, had forever changed. It's a very disorienting um, experience. And I think early on, most people say that um, all you can really do is to um, endure it. That is to say, to just sort of let it come as it comes and um, recognize that that's a, a necessary first step for, for most people uh, in, the, in the morning process. And then we have to endure it. Um, yeah, to, um, to receive the loss, and then we have to endure it. That's right. That's the, that's the second uh, And we uh, all hate strategy. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's where we really have to sit with the pain and um, even indulge the pain, if you will, um, in, in ways that, that doesn't, you know, feel natural or, or pleasant to any of us. But, uh, you know, many people who have done research in bereavement and who have, you know, experienced bereavement themselves will, will say in some way that you, you have to sit in the pit, you have to endure the loss, you have to let the pain of the loss wash over you for a period of time if you are going to uh, begin to move um, uh, out of that loss in, in some significant way. Okay, and then what, how about adapting to it? Adapting to the loss um, uh, has to do with how do you uh, begin to uh, re-engage your life uh, after you have lost. The, the idea being that significant losses change our lives profoundly and in many cases forever, um, such that life as we've known it, our routines, our relationships, our abilities to work, uh, concentrate, etc., are, are altered, and we, we have to go through a process of, of adapting to life again or maybe readapting in light of uh, our new circumstances. And what about relocating? That's an interesting word. Mm-hmm. Relocating um, has to do with um, what I like to call finding a, a place for what you have lost, an emotional uh, place or a spiritual place, if you will, 
um, which means moving what you've lost maybe out of the front and center of your life, but not severing your uh, your ties to what you have lost in any way, but rather just relocating it such that you can uh, visit that loss uh, or sojourn with the loss, which is the uh, the fifth coping uh, strategy that I suggest. You can go to that that place, if you will, where your uh, loss continues to to live and to be present, but you don't have to be there all the time. It doesn't have to be the all-consuming um, experience of your life, such that you can uh, begin to re-engage in life. In, in, in and then, then you say, "With sojourn, I'm going to read a little bit from your book." Or we may sojourn when visiting a gravesite, looking at pictures or other tokens of life shared, various faith rituals like prayer, scripture reading, worship, and communion all allow for sojourning for our loss. So I think religion plays such a wonderful part in the sojourn, doesn't it? Well, I, I think so. It's certainly been been my experience. And, um, yeah, I mean, these, these rituals and these uh, sacred, you know, acts that, that many people of faith do oftentimes will we'll tie into their most significant uh, life experiences, in, including profound loss. As a, as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times people would say to me um, during um, the, the Eucharist or, or communion that, that that was a time when they really felt uh, connected with uh, their loved ones and those they had lost in, in, in ways that uh, otherwise they didn't. So, uh, Well, thank you, Alan Cole, for being on the show. It's been wonderful, and I highly recommend your book. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.